Anthony's Anthony's apartment must be like I don't even know, like some some evil genius workshop or lair that you see in the movies. <laughs> These blog posts he's putting out, pretty cool. I my favorite thing was like, why would we do this? Because we can. Moving on. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to look at this. Could we uh, could we talk about this for a second? Uh, I'll have to find the link. You monstrosities is right. No, it's it's interesting stuff. I like it's funny. It's just I like these uh, thought experiments, doing things just because you can. Come on. All right, you talk about this. It says it's a ten minute read, so you talk, and I'm going to read. <laughs> the title of it is "Creating a Mesh of Monolithic Microservices with Stepsan and Redwood." Which I thought, as soon as I saw a, monolith, a mesh of monolithic microservices, I was like, interesting. Uh, yeah, that's I don't know. That's that's about it. Basically. A whole bunch of monoliths stitched together. What at what point do you transition from monolith to microservice, Sean? I don't. That's a good question. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, Anthony's like that's how they get you, right? It shows how you can combine multiple GraphQL APIs generated with Redwood into a single steps and schema that is then queried from another Redwood app. Ah, uh, okay. So this is sort of demonstrating. It, it's a it's a <laughs> it's a greenfield solution to a brownfield problem. Like <laughs> you, you do this only because you have to, not because this is a good idea, right? Well, it's kind of like the, the schema federation we were talking about last week, right? You have multiple apps that sort of you you might have one Redwood app that has this sort of piece of information, another app that has the other piece of information, and you stitch together with steps in, and then you just have your other Redwood app that just uses the stitched piece of information. So you got yourself a gateway, right? It sounds extremely expensive. It's for people who heard about separation of concerns and got confused. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I have all these side projects that I spun up and then maybe somehow they like seem to work together. And so I just put them in a mesh and now I've got, I've got Sean.dev, everything together. It's funny you say that though, because I actually had that idea once where just, just having a, my own personal API where it was just things that I cared about in my life. And then I could just put them mm-hmm. on there. It sounded like kind of like an IFTTT thing. Uh, yeah. but you just have your own endpoint that just has a mishmash of random stuff. I want, I want a JSON response with the weather at my, you know, home location, whatever. That's one API endpoint. I just thought that'd be fun to have your own basically personal API. That's just, just for you. I've thought a lot about this as well, to be honest. <laughs> I just haven't done it, done it yet. could be a good fun project. I, I don't know. My favorite thing about Anthony's posts though, are that he's just having fun, you know, just experimenting, having fun building stuff for fun because you can um on on some level that actually uh makes me it encourages me it makes me want to do this uh you know i've the past few episodes we've been talking about how i've been going from like i felt like i was in a super big rut and just not really enjoying stuff anymore and and i'm kind of on the upswing of that now where i'm just sort of sort of like building stuff on the side for fun and it's actually fun it doesn't, it's not out of compulsion. It's out of fun. So yeah, the other night, the other night I was working on something and I was having fun and then I looked at the clock and it was like one thirty AM. I was like, I haven't stayed up this late in who knows how long, but it was kind of fun to get into that zone. I'm finding it hard and harder for me personally to get into that, that zone, uh, recently, increasingly as, uh, time goes on. I don't know. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe, uh, maybe I just don't have the, the spark or the time or energy to do it right now, but maybe I'll get back to it. I think that's some of it, like going over to Metalab has helped me there a lot because I have more separation of work and non-work time. 
uh, which has been hugely beneficial. Um, there are other parts of it too, like, you know, the, the, basically, I guess the calls that, that I'm having with my coach where I'm not allowed to talk about work or I'm not allowed to deflect with work rather, uh, has, have been also really helpful. Um, but also, uh, I've been trying to come out of this, this idea where it's all like, it's all business, you know, uh, it's all serious. It's all, um, professional and I, yeah, I don't, I think, I think it was, I got there because I was, you know, subscribing too much into the, or maybe surrounding myself too much into the culture of keep, you always keep grinding, always keep building, always keep shipping kind of stuff. Uh, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think for me after a while, it had that effect where I didn't, if I were, if I wasn't doing that, I felt guilty or I felt like I was wasting time or I felt like I was missing an opportunity possibly. And that in turn led me to just become tired and uh, not enjoy stuff. So I'm not saying that's what's going on with you, but that's what happened with me for sure. So I thought that having a quote unquote normal job, you know, working for Dockyard uh, was going to be easier as well because I thought it would be better compartmentalized. You know, they, they're very uh, protective. Everyone's very protective of their time and, and uh, respectful of each other's time. And uh, that that is totally panned out. There's there, that is that is true. That that's not. I'm not just saying that. That that's the way things are. But there's something wrong with me. <laughs> like <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, I have I'm having a lot of trouble disconnecting. Um, it's not like I'm working. Like at five o'clock, I literally close the laptop and walk upstairs. Like uh, there's no there's nothing. Right. I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. coming back down to check email. I'm not checking Slack. It's not. I don't have Slack on my phone. I don't have email on my phone. I don't even have my work calendar on my phone, right? Just totally gone. But uh, I just feel I just feel like maybe I'm just so drained at the end of the day from whether it's from pairing or just mental exertion or maybe it's the speed that we're doing things at. Um, I don't know. I haven't really nailed it down yet and how I'm going to fix it either. But that's kind of where I'm at recently. Yeah, like you're like you're having trouble not thinking about it or kind of like you said, getting the separation right, kind of removing your mind from that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you find yourself continuing to think about it, even though you go upstairs and don't have. Yeah. Uh, for, for like what helped me a lot when I was, when I was working with DK was just something like jujitsu where I didn't have the option. <laughs> like I couldn't be thinking about work. Otherwise I'd be getting choked or losing basically. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's what helped me, but I'm sure, you know, that doesn't work for everybody. And it's not like you can just go and get into a jujitsu gym right now. because of the. Uh, <laughs> COVID, you know, stuff like that, but I don't know. I'll go wrestle with Bucky. Something that, things that were physically, like, taxing or exhausting helped me a lot. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been sort of on the other side of that, of actually starting to feel better. It took a long time. I've been at MetaLab for almost 11 months, I think, now. So, yeah, almost a year, but we're getting there. <laughs> the project that never ends, right? In a good way. It ends in October. Yeah, yeah. It ends in October and then I'll be on something else. I don't, I think, I feel like somebody might know what it is, but they haven't told me yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it's going to be like a full stack thing. So that should be interesting. I've been actually kind of like Prisma actually had a Prisma day recently and they were talking about, you know, things that they've been working on and a lot of sort of upcoming stuff. Uh, it was, it was quite a, there were quite a few like, here's what I did with Prisma recently, conversations as well. And it seems like, Prisma is getting to a point in where it's 
it's still missing a lot of stuff that other ORMs are just going to have. Like it only as of like last week or maybe earlier this week, it just got like the ability to do cascading deletes. Oh man. So I wouldn't say it's like super, you know, production ready. Like you can probably do a lot of stuff with it if you need to. And of course you could have done cascading stuff, you know, via code, which a lot of people do anyway. So it wasn't a showstopper, but it's kind of, it feels like it's catching up. And one of the places where it's pretty glaring to me that it's catching up, uh, I guess maybe purely in convenience is, is like, especially around testing strategy things. So they have a couple of code snippets in their documentation now where, where they're like, if you need to unit test your stuff, here's the approach you can take. If you need to end to end stuff, here's the approach you can take. But currently it's like, throw it in Docker and spin up a Docker container every time you want to run your tests. And so basically it's slow uh, and time consuming, you know, resource costly. And that's one thing that I really haven't enjoyed or been spoiled by with ORMs I've used in the past with Ecto and and of course Ecto record is it's just there. You don't have to think about it. The strategy is there. So with, you know, Prisma, it's coming a long way, but there's still a lot of questions like how are we going to do tests are we going to end-to-end everything? Are we going to mock the SQL calls out? Are we going to, uh, you know, make a separate test database? Like, then how do we do C data, factories, tests, and stuff like that, or test factories and stuff? So the community is, what I'm getting at is the community is having more of these conversations. So um, EchoBind, uh, I, I think they're a consultancy, uh, but they have they have a starter called Bison, I want to say. Not to be confused with like the Golang Bison, um, but they have a starter called Bison, which is like Next in GraphQL and in Prisma with Postgres and some other things. And so they're kind of like leading a lot of these discussions around the Prisma, like the greater Prisma ecosystem around testing and things like that. So it's cool to see some sort of traction picking up and conversations picking up around this. It's encouraging. Uh, so, you know, I think it's coming along, but it's it's still like not not quite there i guess i don't know i forget what the original point was here yeah i'm surprised all that stuff is not in there like <laughs> for as many people are that are using prisma and it definitely seems to be gaining traction i think uh from what i've seen at least or heard yeah it's it's gaining a lot of traction so, so I'm, it's still surprising me what's still missing like that that seems like uh Low, I want to say low hanging fruit, but it's uh, boy, that's like that's base functionality as far as I'm concerned. Well, I think part of the issue is that it has so much traction now, and so there are like apps in production using this stuff, so they can't just it's not it's not like a point five or whatever where they just shoot out breaking changes into things. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's 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 a huge undertaking there, but also I think a lot of the undertaking came from the client was so nice to use because it generates, you You have, it's kind of like GraphQL or you have a, I don't know if you've used Prisma or looked at it really, but uh, you have an SDL. So like with GraphQL, you kind of define what your relationships are and it generates, it can generate code for you, right? Uh, with Prisma, you have a, a Prisma schema definition where you kind of like say, these are my models, here are my relationships, here are my attributes, here are my columns. Basically, it's like your, your schema to RB file in a sense. And then from that, it generates a, a uh, yeah, yeah. so Anthony's bringing up some points here I'll talk about in a second. But from the schema definition file, it generates uh, a Prisma client, which is completely type safe for you. So that's it's, it's actually really, really nice to use because as you're writing your code, it's like tab, enter, okay, everything I need is here. It reminds you, uh, you know, 
how to connect relationships, how to, how to do everything. And if you do it wrong, it fails. If you change the database schema, it re, you know, recompiles. And then suddenly you have a nice list of places you need to go fix your app that no longer conform. So like the, the experience of using it is really nice. So it's interesting because I feel like that experience came first and now they're kind of like building out the maturity side of it or the backend side of it. So it's coming along and it's encouraging to see more of these conversations happening. Uh, but I can't, it's not an easy thing. It's certainly not an easy thing to do, especially trying to, as people are using it, trying to like build the migration system. So you're not like totally screwing people over and, Luckily, like the migration system is complete now, so you can actually generate new migrations uh, and, you know, have like a more familiar story there. But So what's semantic versionings for, Sean? 2.0. Call it 2.0. 2.0. Do what you want. Everyone, everyone leaves. It's Angular 2 all over again. Is there even 1.0 in Prisma? Ye- yes, I think. <laughs> I don't actually know what version it is, but I know that it is still like... I'm just there, So a lot of the pieces are like... Uh, different versions, right? So you have like the Prisma core and then you have like the migrate, which is like the migration, the whole migration side of it. And that's kind of like released separately. Uh, so it's all kind of like version independently. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. But it sure is nice to use. It'd be cool if you had a, uh, some kind of editor plugin functionality where as you're typing in these things and it actually is running the queries on your test database and just showing you real data. Cause it's all type safe and it knows, should know everything should be able to just kind of run run queries might be fun. So the, they have a VS code plugin that they make and it's actually really nice. So as you're updating the scheme and definition file, so like, let's say you have a model of like stories and a model of reactions. Uh, if you go into your model for stories and then make a field called reactions and you tell it the type is reaction or array of reactions, it'll automatically like fill out the relation fields and indexes for you. And also can transparently just handle a join table if you need it as well. So as you're typing, it'll actually update your scheme and definition file of your models to make it to make it like work correctly. It also lints it for you too, so it'll catch errors that you're making as well. All I do is just write raw SQL and cold fusion. I don't see why you need anything more than that, Sean. <laughs> I don't know. Prisma, yeah, it's it's nice. I, I think like if I could hibernate for a year and then wake up, I'll be like, oh, this is great, you know. But yeah, it's still I don't know. That's kind of like where I'm at with with node like Things are getting a lot better, in my opinion. I'm, you know, I don't have an extensive history with Node, but like when looking at it, the tools that I have to use compared to what tools I've used in the past, it sort of feels like this is, you know, this has existed for years over here. Why aren't we here yet over here? But yeah, it's been, it's been, um, it's been alright. You know, I, I still like, I feel capable with Node. I feel, uh, especially on the client side, like that's, you know, that's known to me. I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, I'm getting more capable with the API side. I'm I'm sort of as I'm writing more code, I'm sort of you know forming my own opinions on things, which Node wants you to do. There are you know conventions you can buy into, but largely it's sort of you know Lego style building of things, and I'm feeling more comfortable. So it's it's fun to me now to like look at hot takes about JS, and I actually feel like I have opinions of them. So you got to start start tweeting those hot takes out out there, Sean. Get the get some good productive discussion going. Well, it's been actually really fun. So in, in the dev channel for my project specifically, I kind of share, I share tweets or things like this and just kind of talk with the other devs and just, what are, what are your thoughts, you know? And one of them recently, uh, I'll have to put the link in the show notes. I can't remember the handle off the top of my head, but uh, someone tweeted, hey, what's your, what's your most controversial JavaScript hot take? And then the response was, 
all JS functions should uh, either accept one argument or an object. <laughs> You're getting into like, named parameters, named arguments territory. Right. Well, I mean, some of the, some of, well, for example, like if someone's really familiar with React, React already, you're already doing this. All React components either take, all React components take an object of props. If you're dealing with refs or, you know, forward ref, then you have two arguments. You have object of props and a ref. So basically they're saying that this simplifies a lot of edge cases. You don't have to worry about um, developing inconsistencies in like parameter uh, ordering or like these weird things that people might complain about in the future. Uh, cough redux, cough, cough. There's, um, there's a, there's a statute of limitations for how many arguments a function should have. And it's, yes. it's more than two, but less than, I don't know, Three? five. Like there, there's a number, but it's not exactly one. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I still tend to write it more similarly to how I might, how I might write Elixir. Right. So I'll do the most important things up front and then just to, take an options object or some sort of data structure mm-hmm. afterwards. The nice thing about with TypeScript especially is that if you have an object, it's all still strongly typed. So you get all like, there's nice auto completion and, and uh, type checking on, on that stuff as well. But I guess the argument with using an object is you don't have to worry about ordering. You don't have to worry about necessarily naming, um, changing this, the surface area of a function is a little bit easier as well because you could just slap a new thing in there if you need to which makes me feel a little weird, but valid, I suppose. So, Yeah, I mean, at what point are you writing application code and at what point are you designing a library? <laughs> sure. You know, that kind, of, that kind of pattern of having a big blobby op- option thing uh, makes sense in a library because it gives you a lot of flexibility to add and change. Not change, but mostly add, right? <laughs> Without breaking the API. I think that's valid for applications too, but boy, uh, I guess that's the point of a hot take, right? Just just to get a reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I get what you're saying, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying too. But especially in the JS world, it's a pretty common thing, so it's a very sort of known pattern. Again, like with React, you're already doing it, so it's you know, it's a great idea because it does push you in the right directions for a lot of solutions that would actually benefit from that kind of pattern. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if there are any like performance issues or uh, things to worry about with that. Yeah, if you're at that level, then maybe you have other issues to to worry about. But should we just be writing in Crystal? Uh, could be, yeah, you could be using Crystal. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been it's it's I'm getting comfortable. Like I, I it, I'm at a more more of a place where it's like I can take it or leave it. Like I'm not going to necessarily pick another language over it because of a lot of the convenience I get from using it, but it's not like my favorite thing to do in the world. Uh, I think, I think this actually has helped me sort of transition from uh, closer to more like being involved, like being interested in the actual issue I'm solving. So the tech is largely a consequence of the problem that I'm trying to solve. And most problems I'm trying to solve currently doesn't matter what I pick. So it's sort of been my default. Uh, which actually feels really good because I think for a long time, like probably years even, I've been more, I think like the tech sort of dictated more of the problems I was interested in solving first. And it turns out that most of the problems I'm trying to solve right now or problems I'm trying to solve for Jamie right now can just be done with TS pretty easily. Until you uh, join us on our uh, game dev jam. Uh, what's, what's Paul's thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ludum Dare. Ludum Dare. 
Yeah. So I mean, honestly, like I've not, I'm, I've, I'm happy where I'm at with MetaLab. Um, for me, I, I guess like, I guess being more transparent about personal stuff. I think like in the past, I've always been like loyal to a fault. I think that's a lot like has to do with like my upbringing and uh, and things like that. Uh, and so I'm trying to, as I get older, I'm trying to learn the balance of like, I think some level of loyalty is good and doing right by people that trust you to do something. I think that's important. But also I think that uh, going too far that direction is not, is not great for you. And I've always kind of gone that route of like loyal to a fault, kind of putting my needs aside. And so I'm trying to find that balance. And so I'm not announcing I'm leaving MetaLab at all. Okay. <laughs> uh, if anybody from MetaLab hears this, um, but I'm just, you know, I'm looking around and there's like, if, if I do want to say, I get really sick of front end or get, get really interested in back end, or I want to make a move, what's out there? Like what are, what kind of maximize my chances of, of doing something uh, that I, that I want to do and that sort of, you know, being stuck in, in one sort of job or one or ecosystem. And so, um, I have a lot of contacts and a lot of companies, they use go a lot. So that's pretty easy cannon fodder, uh, for me, like it's accessible ecosystems big. I know people that know it and know it really well. So I've been, I've been kind of picking around go a little bit again, now that I'm feeling more confident and can, and, uh, comfortable with node and typescript and react in that ecosystem so i have a little more bandwidth now to uh to explore a bit yeah and i also like i feel maybe this is coming from a really privileged position so i apologize if if this sounds wrong to anyone but a company i would want to work for would be hiring me for my ability as a developer not necessarily my ability with a certain set of technologies right yeah Yeah, sure uh sure that helps you know like that's you know, you have to have some familiarity or understanding, but it's at some point, like learning a new language, learning a new library, it's all the same. And if someone kind of knows that you're committed and willing to, you know, is willing to bring you on to, to learn and, you know, there's an upstart cost of you learning the new thing and getting up to speed uh, and they're willing to take the risk, that's a company that you want to work for. You know? If you can yeah. afford to be picky, then, then you should do that. So I don't... <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have an ex- a specific example of that kind of opportunity, but I'm sure that's that those opportunities are out there, especially when you have a network of people you can, you know, who can vouch for you. I think having the network of people vouching for you goes a long way in that regard. And you're totally right. Like, I don't think, uh, it's a really good counterpoint to what I was saying. I don't think that, um, uh, picking up something like go, uh, specifically would is, is like is is making it easy for me to i guess it would be easier for me to pass like entry level code tests or whatever like the in first interviews but um i think maybe what's more interesting to me in that regard is talking about not leaving front end but like being more interested in other areas that are not front end or working with the database because that's predominantly my experience so case in point you know i asked go or i asked greg like hey uh, what do you think would be a fun, you know, project for me to work on? And it would kind of like stress me a little bit. He was like, well, I've been wanting to build a reverse proxy so I could, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, I don't, I know some of those words, you know? So that's kind of what I'm trying to angle for is like something that, uh, you know, I could do web stuff with it, I guess, but, uh, you know, something that kind of like gets me out of that wheelhouse. Like I feel like go is used in networking a lot. That's something I don't know much about. And so it could be interesting to poke into that, that side of things too. So uh yeah yeah anthony reversing linked lists obviously (laughs) um so 
Yeah, I think maybe that's what that's more what I'm after is more sort of experience across the board and not necessarily like I'm an expert in Go and you should hire me to optimize your systems because that takes a long time. But yeah, I'm interested in in newer experiences, I suppose, or like problems I've never solved before. Yeah, definitely. Just like when we were learning development and how you were, you know, you're doing it to to solve a problem that you wanted to solve. You know, like, like you mentioned, didn't you do some like really basic game dev stuff early on? Were you talking about that? Um, yeah, in high school. But I, yeah, 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 right, yeah, right. But that's fun because you like games. You want to build games, so you do some stuff to I don't know, put put little character on the screen or whatever. And Q basic, Q basic. Yeah, I built uh, my final my final project in the class in high school was. I forget what the game is called now. Scorched Earth or something like that. We have two hills that shoot each other. Yeah, I mean that. Oh, like the basic. tanks. Yep, that's cool. And you do a little parabolic equation and. Yeah, and then I talked about my friend Alex that made breakout game with complete with a map editor, and save <laughs> files. <laughs> dude, Come I tried on, to make I tried to make Pong, uh, Pong in VB Visual Basic five or six, and I could never get the hit detection right. Like I just couldn't do it. I tried over and over and over and re-implemented that thing. No matter what I did, the ball would careen off in different directions. The ball would get stuck in the paddle. The ball would, like, just... Man. Yeah. If only I had Unity. Just make it a if solid only. object or whatever, or basic object. Add the physics interface and away you go. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool. So, I guess, like, what's, so what's funny is I, I was talking maybe... I, th- I think I mentioned this before we started recording, but... Uh, the last, it's funny to think about the last few months before joining Meta Lab. So like last year, for example, and I was kind of in a tailspin of like having to, you know, going from learning Go for an interview and then trying to learn Laravel and PHP and then going into no, like, so like three different, pretty different ecosystems and just kind of feeling like I lost my footing altogether. Like, can I even really program any more, uh, kind of questions and Fast forward a year, and now I'm like going back into going. I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I don't remember any of this stuff. <laughs> it's all completely new to me again, right from scratch. But my response, my my sort of like uh, uh, immediate responses to it aren't feeling like I've lost my ability to program. It's remembering, oh, okay, yeah, like that's fine. We're just we just have to spend a week on this, and we'll be back to where we were sort of response so that feels actually really good to sort of have the change in a base response to that uh problem i get that a lot when looking at my own code (laughs) what the it goes from what the hell was i thinking to oh yeah i did it this way because to this code is brilliant i why could why don't i write code that's this clean anymore yeah yeah and i think it's also been helping a lot to having a couple of side projects that i'm working on over time so you get past the 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 phase that everyone hates to be in, which is building off, scaffolding the project, getting the MVP out the door. That like, I also was was stuck on that for a long time, just kind of like always getting stuck in that phase. And so anyway, like I mentioned Rodinia last week, not that there's a lot to it, but uh, it's fun to like revisit it and look at things and make notes, be like, oh, I need to fix that. And leave notes for myself like this is bad bad not good so at some point I'll, I'll address this you know uh but you know coming in and picking an issue and then just working on it for a little bit and there there was this like switch of I, it's hard to describe but the switch from like sitting down to work on it 
uh, for for fun. It felt like hustling uh, before. Again, like the idea of like being stuck in that always be shipping sort of business, sort of how can I sell thing this thing or make money with it thing. That that shift from that to oh, this is just primarily a learning tool. Like maybe people might use it. That's cool, but it's primarily a learning tool. Like that took a lot of the pressure off, and it makes it kind of fun to, you know. Yeah, don't Anthony's dog piling on me now. But it makes it fun to, um, I guess that is correct. Done is the engine of more, as he says. But it makes it fun to actually reflect on the stuff you're writing, look at it. Like you said, you look at it and you think, what was I thinking? I don't really go back to DK's code base or anything like that and look at stuff. Maybe I should. But this gives me a project where I can practically do that. What was I thinking? And, and fix it. Sean, you know what just happened there, right? You just unironically quoted the cult of Dunn. I quoted Anthony, who was quoting the cult of Dunn in the chat. You still said it. I heard it. It's on record. Yeah. So I don't. I feel like I'm finally. I feel like I'm off that plateau that I was on for a long time, and I'm sure everyone listening was like, "Get on with it." You know what I mean? Spamming, <laughs> spamming eleven in the chat. Start the game already. Wait, what's yeah. eleven? I think it's start the game already. Oh yeah. <laughs> From Age of Empires. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah, I feel like I've actually started the game now, so that that feels nice. <laughs> You've only just begun. So looking at your old code is one thing, right? But battling with your uh battling against your own experience with code <laughs> when it hasn't been written yet, you know, challenging your own assumptions, that's something that I've been struggling with lately. Because I've developing by myself in my own little world for so long and then having been thrust onto a team uh, that has completely different dynamics and different requirements for the project and size of the project and scope and everything is everything is different the only thing that's the same is like the tech i'm using and i'm still using vs code right those are the only two (laughs) parallels between code that i used to write and code that i'm writing now to that i'm getting paid to write right and so having to adjust basically everything i know about the development process has been uh is is part of that uh, difficulty for me. We had to do uh, work on a feature this week. It was Honest had a very simple feature. It involved subdomains. You know, it, subdomains are sort of leak or leaky abstraction throughout your entire app, right? Yeah. Where you know, it just seems it just seems easy. Like, oh, it's just another part of the URL. Uh, but then it's like, well, what happens when we you know click on a link? What happens when you redirect? What about cookies? What about uh, what subdomain am I on? Does it matter for like the routes? Lots and lots of questions. Lots of a hidden complexity there. And so we had to do this feature for the subdomain thing. And I immediately in my head started designing a system. I was like, well, okay, if we start off with this base functionality where we take the subdomain and we have this plug that's in the request pipeline that sets this thing up, then things downstream from us can consume that and then they can you know use it as they need. And so I implemented that. I was like, okay, great. We've got this whole thing built out so that it can, can be consumed in a general way because subdomains are a general purpose thing that lots of different parts of the app have to consume. Great. And then we started to run into problems with the way I implemented it. And uh, they're, they're inconsequential to the point of the story, but we kept running into like these little paper cuts. I designed the system. It was too, so general purpose that I couldn't actually make it fit the problem i was trying to solve <laughs> right and we we probably spent a couple hours on this going over going over this thing 
built up this beautiful, perfect object, and then found all the cracks in it. So I was like, okay, get stash, shelve those changes for a moment. And I'm like, let's, I was getting really frustrated at this point. Let's do the thing that we need to do first and then solve backwards from there, right? We have to solve this one particular use case. Let's do that and then see what that looks like and then figure out how to generalize it. <laughs> and that's what we did. And that ended up being good enough. Like we solved this very, very specific use case. And it ended up being like the perfect solution because it was way cleaner, way more explicit, uh, didn't have code spread across five different files, right? It's just literally one function, right? But the power that we were able to extract from just having this one function, and then we just kind of centered around it, that uh, it was really empowering. And at the end of the day, like the PR that we ended up submitting was way smaller and way less complicated and had less sort of, you know, domain knowledge than than we needed and uh i just keep going back to the you ain't gonna need it mantra right like yeah solve yeah. the problem you have sometimes that is good enough <laughs> until it's not but then that's you know that's a future problem so yeah when you when you got to ship something that uh i just keep tr- learning that lesson over and over again just just doing the minimal thing and in, in most cases minimal literally means the minimum amount of lines of code the smallest diffs possible yeah there's a there's a there's a term for this i just read it the other day actually something something reveal it's like the something revealing it has revealing the name it's one of these code patterns right there's like a million different patterns that you could apply whatever oh um emergent yes emergent design exactly emergent design design. yeah emergent design yeah exactly yeah because that's how i would have solved the problem as a beginner developer Mm-hmm. Right, you just solve the immediate problem you have at hand. Oh, there's an error. Oh, I'll just fix the error. You don't. And then, as an intermediate developer, you're like, oh, well, this is a symptom of a larger problem. And then you have to solve the larger problem and rearchitect and refactor. And then there's like a downslope of the curve where you're back to just solve the problem. As yeah. an experienced developer, there's a graph joke in there somewhere, Sean. You know, podcasts are the perfect media medium for <laughs> right telling graph Imagery. jokes. Yeah, it's a, essentially the alt text, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, exactly. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I was just reading about emergent design and you brought it to memory. So I have to go and review my notes on it later. Uh, So you you triggered that, which is great. But yeah, the idea of definitely like working with other developers and then knowing kind of like what their skill level is and then the types of solutions you get in the EMRs are sort of predictable. Oh, this one's probably going to be a system and it doesn't need to be right? This one's probably going to be a little bit too naive. Uh, it's really interesting to kind of observe these things. Uh, but on, on the topic of uh, Yagni, you ain't going to need it, right? Uh, I actually was reading a blog post today by Simon Wilson called Pagnes probably are going to need it. And so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll grab a link to the, for, the, for the, the show notes as well. Uh, but they basically, this article is just talking about, hey, these are things that you, like, Yag, Yagni is right. Like, for a lot of things, you probably aren't going to need it. But there are some things that you probably will end up needing or are going beyond probably will need and are more, oh, like, oh, certainties, right? So a, a few things on this list are, uh, um, like, automated deploys, for example. Um, that may be, like, a lot of people might argue that, but, like, nothing kills productivity faster if you can't remember how to ship it out, right? <laughs> Uh, so having that continuous integration or like having a testing framework set up can be one of them. 
Um, API pagination is another example, right? Because the MVP, the simplest way, would just be listed all until your app slows to a crawl, which actually I have that problem now. One of my friends is implementing uh, pagination for Rodinia. And then I added emoji reactions, which adds a couple of more tables into the mix. And so now it's like, we need pagination and we need it soon. <laughs> uh, so API pagination is one of them. Detailed API logs, yes, 100%. Uh, something that you'll probably need. I'm sorry, I hate this list. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Because these are all very, very specific things that this person has probably had in the past. But that, that says nothing about what anyone else needs and also says nothing about your application like your applications need. Like this this is what leads to this is what leads to bloat, you know? Uh, You'd say <laughs> that detailed logging leads to bloat? No, it bloat in terms of uh you <sighs> Everything's a case-by-case basis, Sean. You'd say that the slapping only... pagination on an API listing <laughs> is case-by-case basis? Only Sith steal in absolutes, Sean. That's right. <sighs> Sith or Siths? Anyway. Pagni. It's a plural Sith. Sith-I. What, uh, <laughs> what would be a Pagni on your list? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. I'm just firing up a comment on this blog post here, so... Signed what, uh, Rockwell P. Schrock. No. <laughs> what's a, what's my Pagni? What do you, what are you what are you gonna need more often than not? Mm, documentation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even if you don't have tests, if you don't have CI, if you don't have CD, if you have docs, at least when you get hit by a bus or win the lottery, when you win the lottery, at least someone can mentally reconstruct what your crazy brain was thinking. That's that's definitely true. The the funny thing is like going through this blog post, I was like, yeah, a lot of these are I I mean some of them I just inherited because of Phoenix, right? When when I was working on DK like structured logging and things. That was it never fails. Uh bug po- blog like a uh, bug happened, nobody can tell me how it happened. I only have like structured logging to look at to try to piece things together. Like that saved my butt so many times. Um the pagination thing I just talked about. <laughs> Uh, performance stuff. Uh, and then and then the other thing, is, which is really funny, I didn't mention, but one of the last things on the list is a bookmarkable interface for executing read-only SQL queries against your database. I kid you not, I still have a bare, uh, a bare document full of snippets I could paste in uh, a IEX session to, to do different things I needed to do in the database. That's fair. That's <laughs> yeah. I still have it and I did not delete it just in case. <laughs> Uh, otherwise you could be like Anthony who prefers that their work die with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's some job security right there. Right. Right. You can't kill me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just thought it was a funny term, Pagni. And I was thinking about what? Yeah, like, I agree. I could, you know, some of these are taking or leave it, but I agree with a lot of them because they've come in handy for me very specifically on DK. So, yeah, I feel like every one of those, it, yes, they're good ideas. I was yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. yanking your chain, but. But they they all come with qualifiers. If you're doing an API that needs to be consumed by other people, then you probably need yeah, X, yeah, Y, and sure. Z. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the structured logging thing. If I don't have it, I feel anxiety because I'm like, how do I know? How do I know? <laughs> We're still trying to figure out the logging piece at Dockyard for this application, and it is problematic because now bugs are, you know, the, the production or the QA environment is starting to get buggy right things are showing up qa is finding things it's, they're good at it but we're having trouble 
<laughs> pinpointing what what's going on. App signals blowing up and getting like fifty emails in five <laughs> minutes because <laughs> of some some error. We uh we had a fun one where we blew through a whole month's quota of API requests, like five hundred thousand API requests mm-hmm. in like a week. That was fun. <laughs> You yeah. uh, you use up all of your sentries error logging quota for some stupid thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, happens many times to me. Well, that was a that was actually a fun little bug. I, I guess I could talk about that. I don't know. It's just it was a really quick one. It was just really dumb. Um, using a service called IP Stack, where uh, you feed it an IP address and it gives you location metadata. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of guesses your your country, your approximate location. Um, we use that for, you know, localization and stuff. Sure. But, uh, we had that run on every page request, but we also cache it in the session cookie so that we don't have to hit it every time, right? You're in a browser, the first page request, we get your info and then it's in your session cookie. So we don't have to refetch it. Fine. Uh, guess what doesn't use session cookies? Google load balancers, health checks. Oh no. <laughs> Which fire off, you know, once every 10 seconds. Or something. And so I was able to actually, by looking at the number of API requests in, you know, because it tells you how much of the quota you use per day, mm-hmm. I was able to actually do the math out and be like, there's something hitting our API endpoints every 10 seconds. Like it's an even multiple of, you know, whatever, whatever it was. There was 30 seconds or something. Uh, the math worked out exactly. <laughs> I could see when, when load balancers were spun up and broken down. And uh, yeah, the fix was easy. Just point the point the load balancer at a at a slash health or whatever that is just a 200 response and it bypasses all that stuff but uh you know it took a week of burning through all of our <laughs> quota that we paid for to, to find that we had something similar happen at meta lab uh this last week as well where i wake up and i get an email from from github and it's like you've used 70 percent of your available action runtime or action minutes or whatever i was like oh no oh, okay. no not my job continue on with my morning you've used 80 percent of your it's like Okay. <laughs> okay. And so like getting coffee and stuff, you've used 90%. I was like, oh no. And so I jump into, by the time I get into the work slack and screenshot it, it's like, you've used a hundred percent. And I was like, hey, uh, does anyone else know about this? I can't be the only one out of 50 people getting this email address <laughs> or getting this email from, from GitHub to my address. And yeah, so then like people start jumping in and digging through it and trying to figure out what the what the cause was. I, uh, I left before I think they like, I think it was a combination of things, but a newer project had started and they were running builds against a Mac environment, which took way longer than a Linux environment. And so like every small change to this thing would burn up like 30 minutes of of build time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, fun thing where I was like, Hey, uh, does anyone else seen this (laughs) troubling email? That's probably costing us money as we speak. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. That was fun. I like I like solving problems like that, having to dig through. I guess one piece of advice I will give if you're thinking about log stashing, don't pick a new provider. I I I you know, I want I want <laughs> I want new companies to survive and I want competition. But I've been burned in the past where I picked somebody that seemed awesome, they had some nice features, a year later they're gone. So I'm like, well, now what am I gonna do? Now I have all this work to do. I don't work for this company anymore. Uh you know what I mean? It should be someone else's problem, but there's no devs working on it, so it's my problem. And yeah, just just use the old boring ones. <laughs> they aren't going away. Just SCP your logs to a server somewhere. Yeah, rip timber. Exactly. That's the that's the one that got me. It was nice while it lasted though. 
Timber's gone? Yeah. Hmm. I never used it. I'm just, <laughs> I know I've heard of it. <laughs> I got burned by parse, so I called that the parse syndrome. Or yeah, yeah. Something. The timber syndrome. That part, your parse is my timber. Sure. Yeah. Bummer. Oh, I get it. Timber, log. Do you get it? Yeah. Do you get it, Sean? Are we doing this though? Are we building a log ingesting system with Go? No, there's so many, Sean. Are we doing it? And besides, we we're doing it in Crystal, anyways. That's true. Yeah, but we're doing it though, right? But we'll build it twice. How about that? We need to we need to put a, a GraphQL steps and API endpoint in front of it. Where's Anthony? You're hired. We got a job for you. You're the man for this job. Talking about Elixir stuff, shout out to uh, Logflare, I think it's still called, a uh, friend of the show, Chase Gradberry. Uh, I think way back, uh, maybe like last year, two years ago or something like that, uh, we were conversing on Twitter and he was showing me Logflare and how it was using LiveView and just how absurdly fast it was. It's the future. Yeah. Don't be left behind, Sean. Logflare is pretty cool. Yeah, I think the uh, the if you go to the homepage, there's like these live counters happening. Uh, that's live view, and those are actual really real numbers. <laughs> it's not some sort of like placeholder animation. Those are real things. Pretty neat. Is there a JS technology that's like live view? Like you're running JavaScript on the server, but it's rendered as plain HTML on the client? Yeah. Remix being one of them. No, but like live rendering as you're as you're clicking around a page on the server. Oh, you mean piping HTML over? <laughs> yeah, and running Node like like hosted view components where it's just dumb J- dumb HTML pushed to the uh, the client. Yeah, you could just do that with Remix. Yeah, you just don't include the script tag in the in the document. And, oh, uh, right. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure you could do it with anything really. Um, what is it? Adonis? Adonis? Yeah, Adonis has like its own templating language. I think it's called Ace. You just slap pug on something and call it good. So I guess the question that I want to know is what are people's pagnies? What are the probably going to need it need it that you'd recommend? You probably need a, a cool landing page, you know, a cool marketing page with scroll jacking. I think that's a pagney. A blog. That's true. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've bolted a blog onto some app. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a chat feature, right? Every yeah. app evolves yep. to uh, include chat, right? That's one of the things. Yeah. Yeah, I guess a lot of those things you should probably just buy, right? What? No, why? No, reinvent the wheel, Sean. It's fun. It's educational. And it's easy to maintain. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's job security. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's what we want to hear is what, what Pagnes, what Pagnes you got. Probably going to need it. You know, you're probably going to need to send us that info as a Twitter client and account. We're not verified. We don't, we're not cool enough. We don't have a blue check mark. But, uh, you can tweet at us on Twitter. DNC cast. Sean is Sean Wash. But I don't know. Are you verified, Sean? Do you ever verify? I haven't tried to get verified. Hmm. Well, send it to Sean Washbot. It may or may not get to the real Sean. I'm open to additional additional interpretations of me. We all are, Sean. We all are. We're just waiting. Uh, and I'm Shrockwell. 
Uh, everything we talked about today, all the different libraries and blog posts and stuff like that are going to be available in our show notes. So if you're looking for those, you can head on over to dnc.show. Of course, they should be uh, listed in the podcast uh, player of your choice. And we're always recording Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific, twitch.tv slash dnccast. Uh, yeah, it's fun. I enjoy it. You enjoy it? Chat seems to enjoy it. Got a good crowd out there tonight. You could be one of them. Come on by. Next time I won't hit the lasagna as hard, so I won't be as tired. <laughs> to put some uh, uppers in that. Caffeine, crush the caffeine pills on top there. Good to go. Oh, we got, we're getting lots of Pagnies in the chat. Log storage with query metrics and automatic issue reporting. I can plus one that. Argon 2, Guardian, Live View, Tailwind. Uh, I agree with half of these. <laughs> Uh, if you can't make it to the shows on Thursday nights, then we we have a Discord. So if you're looking for a community to plug into or you want to you know, talk to more people around the DNC community, you should join us in the Discord. There will be an invite waiting for you in the show notes. Right. Well, I know what I, my Pagni is. That I'm probably going to need a vacation. So I'll be out next week. I don't even know who the guest is. It's going to be a surprise for everyone. So tune in for that. Well. Well. Uh, good luck with disconnecting, freeing that mind. Yeah. Try doing wall Thanks. stands upside down. I don't know. I mean, I got a week off. I think that'll be enough of a disconnect. It I'll does be, sound uh, nice. Yeah. I'll be ready to get back to it. Yeah. Happy 4th and uh, talk to you later. All right. See you.